It's good to be with you this morning. Last Sunday, I was actually able to go to my brother's church in Dundee. Um, It's the first opportunity I've had to get out to see him because obviously I'm always here on Sunday morning. And so really appreciate Jerry's willingness to teach for me last Sunday. Um, I was just so impressed by my brother and what he's doing and to really see him in action as a pastor of his own church was just really special. Like who would have thought that I would become a pastor and that my brother would become a pastor? Like it's just so neat to see what God does in people's lives and uh, just a cute little church. It looks like something on a Christmas card. Uh, just the friendliest people. It's a really small congregation, but and his sermon was so good. It was so good. I'm going to have to have him come and preach it here some Sunday, but it was fantastic. So praise God for what he's doing in Ryan's life. And I just ask that if you think about him, pray for him. He's getting married on Black Friday, so that's coming up. And uh, it's just going to be a busy time, especially now that my sister just had a baby, you know, this morning. So some neat things are going on in in the life of our family. Um, last night I was at a, a costume party. I don't know if you guys get to costume parties in the fall. Um, but we were at the costume party last night and Mary and I dressed up as Forrest Gump and Jen A. So I thought I'd show you a, a little bit of a picture. I thought we looked pretty good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, and then, um, we saw Dave and Ryan Curzon, they came to the party, and they're dressed up as Shane and Mary. I thought, <laughs> Dave informed me that I do hold the iPad like this a lot, and after he said it, I was like, you know what, I, I think I do do that. And then Josh Hose, he went on to tell me, yeah, you say some words funny, and this one you say really good. I like how you say this word. And it's like, so that's what people are thinking of when I'm preaching sermons, right? What words I say all mixed up and which ones I actually can say. So it was funny. If you, you may not be able to see, but he's got the microphone, the Barbie microphone on over the ear, and you should have seen Ryan's wig. We should have gotten the, the back of the the hairdo, because it was super curly, and it was great. So I didn't know whether to feel like good about that or insulted, so I wasn't sure. We'll just take it as a compliment, right? Uh, we had a good time. Hey, we're, gonna, we're back to our back-to-school 2017 sermon series, and in the sermon series, we've been looking at some stories that are most likely taught in children's Sunday school. Um, We've been looking at the life of Abraham, and the stories we've been covering are a little, they have some adult content, but I'm sure our teachers, when they teach these stories, use good discretion and explain them well. But if you remember the last time I taught, uh, we were talking about Abraham's near sacrifice of his son Isaac, and just Man, that just had to be such a crazy experience for Abraham. And we really didn't get a chance to really look at it and think about, well, how does this apply to our life in 2017? And so I just thought, you know what, Uh, why don't we take a a Sunday to to think about that? And I want to offer you uh, three things um, that I feel like we can really use this story to apply to our lives today. And there are a ton more, I'm sure. Um, 
Here are the three things, and then I'll pray and then we'll read the scripture passage. But the three things are this. God is committed to growing our faith, your faith and mine. God grows your faith for his pleasure, your joy, and for the sake of the world. And God grows your faith through trials and over time. So these are the three things that I want to explore with you this morning. Before I do, let's pray. And then I thought it would be good, since this is two weeks ago, I might as well just read the passage to you again. So I'll do that as well. Let me pray. Lord, I I thank you for laughter. I thank you that you have given us that good gift to enjoy each other's company, to have fun, to laugh. And uh, Lord, you, you have a sense of humor, I'm sure, and you, you've given that to us. We thank you for that. Lord, I'm also grateful for your wonderful gift of your word that really gives our soul what it needs to continue on in our faith journey. It's what we need more than a lot of things that we feel that we need. And so, Lord, as we come to feast on your word again this morning We pray that it would bring the nourishment that our souls need for today. I pray that we would walk out of here, Lord, with a better understanding of what faith is and why you want us to have it and how it grows. We love you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. If it wasn't for your faithfulness to us, we wouldn't be able to have faith. We wouldn't be able to have trust in you. You are good, God. You're loving You're all-knowing, you're all-powerful. You're our Father who provides day in and day out for us without ceasing. We can rest because you don't rest or grow tired or weary. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me read it to you. It's it's a little bit lengthy, but it's good stuff. So the passage is found in Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. 
And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall be blessed, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. What a passage, what a story. Let's look at these uh, three things that I want to offer you this morning. First, let's look at God is committed to growing your faith. I think as people, we're often committed to growing a lot of things, aren't we? We're committed to growing our bank accounts. We're, we're committed to growing our influence in the world. We're committed to growing our power, our prestige, our accomplishments, our career, our biceps, our gardens, our comfort, our golf skills. We're committed to growing a lot of things, aren't we? And so we often make plans to make more money, to climb the corporate ladder, to get a beach body, to make life easier, uh, to sharpen our skills in, in one particular hobby or another. And it's not that these things are unimportant or unworthy of our time. I just don't think for the Lord they're near the priority as they are to to us. So what is God's desire for us? Where does God want to take us? What does God want us to become? What did what kind of person did God want Abraham to be? Well, God was committed to growing Abraham's faith. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to have a huge faith. And he wanted for Abraham to have this gigantic faith. God's desire is that we possess just an enormous faith. Well, what is faith? I think we need, if we're going to talk about faith, I think we need to have a bit of an understanding of what is faith. When we use that word, you know, I think faith is a word, like a lot of words that we use as Christians, that we use them so much that they kind of lose their meaning. We kind of, or they have so many meanings, but we we really don't know which one we're talking about when we use certain words. So what is faith? I think when many of us hear the word faith, we think, oh, you know, faith is a set of beliefs, right? So to the question, do you have faith in God? We often respond, yeah, I believe in God. Do you have faith in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But is faith merely belief in God? Is faith belief in Jesus? Yes, but it is more. James 2.19 says this, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. 
So we would not say that the demons have faith, right? But they have belief. So faith, biblical faith, has to be more than mere belief. You see, biblical faith is comprised of belief, but also trust and obedience. Belief, trust, obedience are the three ingredients of biblical faith. Here's an illustration. It's not a perfect illustration. Typically, illustrations, they break down at one point or another, but they help. So let's say your optometrist uh, says that you probably are going to have to have eye surgery. You went and visited the, the doctor, and, and, and she says, you know, it looks like you have a condition in your eyes that's going to require surgery. And so what you do is you seek out to find a surgeon, right? And so you, you look around, you talk to different people, and you find a surgeon that the reviews are good, and there seems to be evidence that their skill as a surgeon is, is good, now, so you have belief in this eye surgeon. You, you believe they're a surgeon. You believe that their skill is good. But does that mean you trust the surgeon? No, not yet. It's not until you and your spouse decide, you know what? This is the surgeon we're going to go with. That's when you actually transfer your trust to that surgeon. And then... Here's the other component, obedience. If you have trust in the surgeon, it will work itself out in obeying the surgeon's commands, which one is you have to have surgery. So your faith becomes complete. And the evidence that you trust the surgeon is when you actually go to the surgery appointment and put yourself on the surgeon's table. That is faith. You see, simply believing that the surgeon is talented doesn't mean you have faith in him, and it won't bring healing to your eyes. You have to place your trust in the surgeon, and you have to be willing to obey his commands. And this is the same for our faith in Christ. There must be belief, sure, but there has to be trust and obedience as well. In terms of belief, at, at, at the very minimum, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for the sins of the world and that he defeated sin by dying and then being raised from the dead. I mean, so that'd be minimum belief you have to have to have biblical faith, but it has to go further. There has to be a transfer of trust. You know, I feel like, and this is one of my concerns for Americans, and especially American Uh, so-called Christians, is that their faith, which isn't biblical faith, stops at mere belief. I I believe in Jesus. I believe he was real. I even believe he was God's son. But there was never this commitment, there was never this transfer of really saying to Jesus that my trust is in you. I believe and I am trusting that your death was in my place, in my stead, to pay the penalty that my sins deserve, and I'm trusting your death so that I will not have to face God's punishment in his wrath. There's got to be a transfer of trust to him. And then there's got to be obedience. 
You, you have to... You have to have, there has to be obedience in your life. Perfect obedience? No, we're never going to perfectly obey him. But at the very least, at the very minimum, in terms of obedience, we should have evidence in our life that we have transferred our trust to Jesus by how we live. Um, that's why James, in talking about Abraham, says this in the passage that Ryan read. James two eighteen through 26 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I skipped a few verses in there. We are justified, we're saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, but faith in Christ is never alone. It's always accompanied by good works, which is the evidence that we have believed in Jesus. We have transferred our trust to him. And when our faith is exercised through obedience, that's when our faith becomes mature and complete and perfect. You know, if you were to read Hebrews 11, which is like the faith hall of fame, and you read about these different biblical characters that just had tremendous faith, they don't, the passage isn't talking about them having a certain state of mind. The passage is all about their acts of obedience that demonstrated their great faith in God. Maybe you're here today and you say you believe in Christ, but you really have never transferred your trust to him. You're like the patient who believes that the surgeon is good and they're highly skilled, but you have yet to commit your eyes uh, to them, the future of your eyes to them. And I am asking to, for you to examine yourself this morning. Have you transferred your trust to Jesus for your sins because I don't want anybody here at Abundant Life to be attending here and they haven't made that commitment. They haven't transferred their trust to Jesus. Have you repented of your sin? Have you thanked him for dying in your place to rescue you from, your, from that penalty of sin? Have you asked him to teach you how to live for him? Is there biblical evidence that God, or not biblical, is there life evidence in your life that God is changing you and that your trust is in him? So biblical faith is comprised of beliefs, trust, and obedience. And that's what God desires to grow in us. He wants our beliefs in him to increase, our knowledge in him to increase. He wants our trust in him to increase, and he wants our obedience to increase and to, in, to heighten. Because here's the thing. When we come to Christ, 
When we come to Christ initially, typically we have very limited knowledge and beliefs about Jesus. We have very limited uh, uh, trust in him, and we have very limited obedience when it comes to our life. And so the whole Christian journey then is God increasing that little mustard seed faith that we have and making a huge, gigantic faith in us. If you do have biblical faith, if, there's, if, if you know that you believe in Jesus and that you've transferred your trust to him in regards to your sin and that um, he is working in your life and there's evidence that you're, you're starting to obey him and not that you're even close to being perfect, but there's evidence, then I ask you this question. In what area do you feel like you really need to grow in, in terms of the composition of faith? Do you need to grow in your knowledge and your beliefs about God, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit? Do you need to grow in really trusting Him with other areas of your life? See, I mean, we can trust Him with our sin, but have we trusted Him with our marriage? Have we trusted Him with our parenting? Have we trusted Him with our children? Have we trusted Him with our work? Have we trusted Him with our plans and our future? How are you struggling to trust God? What are you worrying about? What are you angry about? What are you trying to control? What patterns of sin are you stuck in? God is committed to growing our faith. He wants us to have mammoth faith. And secondly, God grows your faith for his pleasure, your joy, and for the sake of the world. These are the, prim- these are the, uh, the three primary prime reasons primarily i don't even know what it is josh another word you can add to your list right there buddy uh these are the three reasons so so first you know he wants to grow your faith for his pleasure um when we believe in god and when we know him and when we transfer our trust to him in every area of our life and uh when we have actions that show that we're trusting him, that brings pleasure to to God's hearts. God said in response to Abraham's obedience in Genesis 22, 12, he says, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham's trust in God and his obedience to God let God know that Abraham was completely devoted and sold out for him, that Abraham was all and only for Jesus. His faith pleased God. God also wants to give us a giant-sized faith because it brings us joy. God knows that he's the only stable foundation that we can build our life on. He knows that. Everything else will fail us eventually. Our looks are going to fade. Our finances are always susceptible to the next financial crisis. Our health will eventually turn to sickness. In terms of our career, we're only a restructuring away or uh, from unemployment or a few poor decisions by the leaders of our company away from losing our job and our income. Our spouse and our children, they can never give us what We can only get from God the joy and the peace and the fulfillment we can get from God. God is the only foundation that is, will never, that will never crumble underneath us. And, and so what he wants 
is for us to have a giant faith in him when we're finding our security in him, when we're finding our significance and our satisfaction in him. Because that's when we'll really feel satisfied. That's when we'll really feel significant. That's when we'll really feel secure. Imagine with me if you had perfect faith. Imagine that. If you had perfect faith, what your life would be like. I surmise that you would have more peace, more joy. Imagine being completely secure in God. Imagine being completely satisfied in him. Imagine always facing, no matter what life throws at you, with just this belief and trust that God is going to somehow work it out. Imagine that you completely trusted in every circumstance that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving, and that he is with you every moment through every single circumstance, and he has promised to never leave nor forsake you, that he is going to get you through or over or around whatever you're facing. Imagine If when chaos just breaks out in your life, you're simply able to say, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know it's going to work out. Envision never worrying, never fearing. Imagine having a huge faith. The joy, the peace, the contentment. And that's one of the reasons why God wants us to bring us closer and closer to this perfect faith. Because he cares about our joy and our happiness and our contentment. And also another reason why God wants to give you a huge faith is because he wants to use you to grow his kingdom. You know, the song we sang, where, I, where you go, I'll go. Where you move, I'll move. I will follow you. What if we lived like that? What if we were able to say to God because of our gigantic faith in him, wherever, whenever, however, I am in with you, Jesus, I am, I am yoked to you, I will do, I am completely surrendered. Imagine how he might use us. Imagine the ways we might venture out into the unknown with God and for God. Imagine how God would use us to bring blessing to other people. God grew Abraham's faith because he wanted to do something through him to bless all the nations of the earth. Genesis twenty-two fifteen through 18 says this. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God wants to create a big faith in you because he wants to do something through you. That's why he wants to create. So those are the three reasons I think God wants to create a big faith in us. So we've determined that faith is belief, trust, and obedience. That's faith. We've determined that God wants to grow a big faith in us for three reasons. It brings pleasure to his heart. It brings pleasure to our heart. And It's a way that then we are equipped and able to be used by God to bring blessing to a hurting, dying world lost in sin. 
So the third question becomes, how does God grow our faith? You're not going to like this answer. There are a lot of different ways that God uses to grow our faith, right? Um, He uses uh, the word of God. And when we hear practical teaching of the word of God, it has a way of increasing our faith in him. He uses worship services like ours today and the songs that we sing to increase our faith in him. He brings certain people into our life at just the right time to help our faith grow. I'm sure if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you've experienced that. I know I have. I'm thankful to God for those special people. He uh, uses spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and prayer to increase our faith. He uses us serving in ministry to increase our faith. I bet you if you come and you serve at the block party on Sunday, it's going to do a work in you. It just does. When we serve um, God through serving other people, it has a way of you know, growing our faith. But perhaps the means that God uses the most in growing our faith is trials, difficulty, pain, suffering. This was true of Abraham, wasn't it? You know, when we uh, read Hebrews 11, that, that, again, that chapter that's all about these amazing heroes of the faith, we have a tendency to think that these people just had this gift of faith, that it just came to them, that it wasn't something that was developed over time. But Abraham, his faith started out small, just like our faith starts out small, and then God grew it over a period of decades. Abraham's faith grew through this difficult process of difficult circumstances. This, this time, over time, going through this process of difficult circumstances. So Abraham in Genesis 12, right? He decides to trust God by obeying God's call to set out for an unknown land. He believes. He transfers his trust. He acts steps out in obedience. And then later in this very same chapter, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they were forced to uh, leave the land that they were in to go to Egypt because of a famine. And they were seeking to find relief, relief there. And instead of Abraham trusting God to take care of him and his wife, he lied about the relationship that he had to his wife while he was there. And then when Abraham's plan backfired, guess what? The Lord rescued him. And then in Genesis 14, Abraham and his people, they find themselves in the middle of war. And God is faithful to bring victory to Abraham. And then you read in Genesis 15, Abraham's now doubting God's promises to him. To give him a son, to give him land, to give him numerous descendants. And so God, remember that crazy ceremony with the cut up animals that God had with Abraham to show, hey, I'm going to make this happen. My promise is going to come true. And then you would think by this point that Abraham would have this huge faith, but he doesn't. It just keeps going on in Genesis 16. Due to Sarah's barrenness, Abraham, that's his wife. So Abraham and Sarah, they they conjure up this plan to have a child through one of their maidservants. And then in Genesis 17, God reiterates his plan to give Sarah a naturally born child. And then um, at 100 years of age, Abraham laughed in disbelief when, when you know, God said that 
to them in, in Genesis 17. I think they laugh in Genesis 18. And then in Genesis 20, check this out, we find Abraham lying again about his relationship to Sarah. But once again, God is faithful to work and out the situation for good. And then in Genesis 21, Sarah in her old age, just as God promised, gave birth to a son named Isaac. I say all of this because it proves the point that I know we're just going chapter, chapter, chapter here, but we're talking about years and decades of Abraham's faith journey in which he failed, in which he doubted, in which sometimes his faith seemed big, and God was just faithful time and time again through these difficult circumstances to Abraham that he eventually got to the point where Genesis 22 comes and then he is willing to be in this place of complete surrender to God and he's willing to offer up his one and only son that he has still living. So it was a process oh, through difficult circumstances. And it's the same for us. That's how our faith is going to grow. When the chips are down, when there doesn't seem like there's any hope, when there doesn't seem to be a way, when our resources are completely tapped out and God makes a way, our faith grows. And then when we're thrusted back into that, uh, thrust back into that situation and God comes through again, then our faith grows a little bit more. And then when we encounter another difficult circumstance and God is faithful again, our faith just grows. The most loving, and when we read Genesis 22, we just think, how could God ask Abraham to do, you know, sacrifice his son? It was the most loving thing that God could have done for Abraham. Because if there was a kinder, if there was a gentler, easier way to do this work in Abraham of, of creating a giant-sized faith in him, God would have done it. You see, trials are like turbo boosters to our faith. They're like steroids for our faith. They supercharge our growth process in our faith journey. C.S. Lewis has said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now you may say, well, what does C.S. Lewis know about pain? I mean, didn't he just sit around and write books? Lewis tasted pain in ways that few of us can relate to. At a very early age, he lost his mother. His dad emotionally abandoned him. He suffered from uh, an illness as a teenager. He fought and was wounded in World War I. And then finally had to bury his beloved wife. C.S. Lewis knew what God is able to do through pain, through suffering, through trials. He knew from experience that God shouts in her pain. You know, pain demands our attention, doesn't it? It demands our attention. It wakes us, out, wakes us up out of our stupor. It it has a way, trials, difficulty, suffering, they all have a way of just humbling us. They peel away at our self-sufficiency. They reveal how weak we really are, how vulnerable we really are. They reveal that the control we thought we had, we really didn't have. 
You see, often we got to be brought to this place where all we have is Jesus for us to understand that he is all we need. I don't know if a a person's faith can really grow in any other way. We have to be broken. We have to be brought to this place of utter helplessness. We have to be brought to the end of our rope so that when God works and acts, there is no mistaking that it's him and his power that provided for us and got us through. And that is why God said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. As long as we're in difficult situations that we can get ourselves out of, we're always tempted to believe that our rescue was our doing. But when we are in utter weakness and we have no way of getting ourselves out, we see just how powerful God is. You see, we can intellectually agree that God is good, that he's trustworthy, that he's loving and caring and kind and compassionate and wise, but it is not until we experience these attributes of God in real life, in real difficult circumstances, that they really become a reality to us. We don't need just intellectual knowledge of God. We need experiential knowledge of God for the truth of God to go deep into our hearts and minds. We need to experience God's power when we're weak. We need to experience his faithfulness when we are um, having a hard time being faithful. We need to see his wisdom when we're confused. We need to see his provision when we're empty-handed. We need to see his healing when we are hurting. And as we do, our faith is bolstered. And so, I hope you can see that your difficulty and your trials are being allowed and sometimes even caused by God because he cares more about your faith than your comfort. He wants you to have a huge faith. He created this situation with Abraham in Genesis 22. He caused this difficult situation in Abraham's life. He didn't just allow it. He's the one who thought it up and planned it and... Why? Because he wanted Abraham to have a giant-sized faith. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I just imagine that when Abraham is walking down that mountain, with his son Isaac, that uh, he had a giant-sized faith. And I bet you there was a peace in Abraham because he knew, because he had experienced time and time again, that wherever God guides, he will provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is God the provider. And so... One thing, and I heard Andy Stanley say this, he said, one thing that can really help us in our difficulty and our struggle is knowing that and having the perspective that God isn't doing something to us, he is doing something in us so that he can do something through us. If you're experiencing difficulty right now, if you're in the midst of a storm, if you are in the desert right now, 
you need to know that God isn't doing something to you. He's doing something in you so that he can do something through you. And I encourage you with these words from Max Lucado. You'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. Don't be foolish or naive. But don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. If you're in the middle of a storm right now, as we prepare for communion, I encourage you to ask God for more faith. Ask him. You know, when uh, James is talking about faith, he then goes on to say, and for any of you who need wisdom in your storm, basically, ask God and he will give it to you. Ask God for wisdom. He will give it to you. Trust that he will provide at just the right time and in just the right way. And when you do get through what you're going through, because you will get through it, your faith will have grown leaps and bounds. Today, as we celebrate communion, we get to think about Jesus and his sacrifice for us and how God, once again, and this is the ultimate example, how God took suffering and leveraged it for good. Jesus experienced immense suffering, suffering like no other person has ever experienced because he not only had the physical aspect of the suffering, but he also had the emotional weight of all the sins placed on his shoulders and he had he was separated from the father the agony was so intense and god was able to use that the the most tragic thing ever i feel like in the history of our world for the greatest good that the world has ever seen and so when we're going through our trial, when we're going through our storm, it is Jesus's death and resurrection that we can always uh, go back to. It can always anchor us that, you know what, if God used that for good, if God made a way for Jesus to, to defeat death, then surely he will be good to us in our storms and he will make a way. As you think about that, I encourage you just to offer yourself up to God. Ask for increased faith. Um, if you're, you know, we invite, you know, anybody who has placed their faith in Jesus to the communion table. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for you being the author and perfecter of our faith. That you were complete, you, you lived a completely faithful life uh, to your Father. You were full of belief and knowledge of the Father, intimately acquainted. You were complete in your trust, <laughs> and you were um, perfect in your obedience. We thank you for your faith. And Lord, we are asking that you would create a giant-sized faith in each one of us, that we would be patient with the process, that we would see our trials and our difficulty from a different perspective, that you're not trying to do something to us, you're trying to do something in us so that you can do something through us. 
Lord, I pray that as each one of us endures the storms, uh, endures the storms of life, that we would be asking for you to, just to show us yourself, to show us your hand guiding us, and that uh, you would show yourself just when we need it, through people, through the resources you provide us with, through a card of encouragement, and that you would enable us to be faithful to you, and that uh, we would trust that we will get through it, and then on the other side, we will be victorious, and our faith will grow. Lord, help us to be bold, courageous people because of the big faith that we have in you. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice, and I'm so glad that we get to remember it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.